Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy holidays, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Pod and this week's roundtable, the very last roundtable of 2020. And as always, lots to talk about at the end of a very lively week. It's about 8.30 on Friday, December 18. Without incident this week, the Electoral College met and awarded Joe Biden 306 electoral votes, making it official. Well, official for everybody but Donald Trump, who still insists that he won, not Joe Biden. But for him, double rejection by the Supreme Court looks like the end of the road. Meanwhile, up in Wilmington, Delaware, the president-elect continues to make history with the most diverse cabinet in history. Already more women and more people of color, plus the first ever openly gay cabinet member and the first Native American cabinet member. And he still has a few more slots to fill. And good news, the coronavirus vaccine has arrived with healthcare workers first in line and Vice President Mike Pence and his wife receiving the COVID, uh, the COVID vaccine this morning at the White House. So let's sort it all out with today's roundtable guest, Addie Baird, political reporter for BuzzFeed. Hello, Addie. Hi, Bill. Okay, Jeff Dufour, editor-in-chief of the National Journal. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Bill. And good to see Gabe DiBenedetti, national political reporter for New York Magazine. Uh, hello, Gabe. Hey, Bill. You can see me? <laughs> it's a it's magic game. <laughs> so um, we heard something this week, Tuesday morning, on the floor of the United States Senate that we have never heard before. Uh, let's listen up. The Electoral College has spoken. So today I want to congratulate President-elect Joe Biden. The President-elect is no stranger to the Senate. He's devoted himself to public service for many years. I also want to congratulate the vice president-elect, our colleague from California, Senator Harris. Beyond our differences, all Americans can take pride that our nation has a female vice president-elect for the very first time. We never thought we would hear Mitch McConnell say that. Jeff, is this the end of the road for Donald Trump? Well, it depends who you ask, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, <I guess. laughs> plenty of people do still seem to believe that Trump is going to be inaugurated again come January 20th. Um, and pivoting off of McConnell, I, I think the really interesting political dynamic comes on January 6th when the House and Senate get together and members can object to the Electoral College. Uh, McConnell now has put out the word that he doesn't want this turning into a circus on the floor. Uh, but I'm not sure he's going to get everybody to buy into that. Uh, can he keep? He can keep the, the James Lankfords and Jim Rishes uh, of the Senate in line. Sure, uh, he can probably even keep Ron Johnson in line. But Rand Paul, I, I don't know, or somebody like Josh Hawley, who's got designs on 2024 and needs to establish a little bit of populist cred versus the swamp. Um, what 
why wouldn't somebody like Josh Hawley uh, object and, and, and get some and get some street cred for that? Yeah, but Gabe, uh, really, with the Supreme Court rejecting the legal arguments twice and 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 a score of judges in states doing the same thing now with Mitch McConnell. Uh, recognizing uh, that Biden is the president-elect. I mean, what options does Trump really have left other than maybe this Hail Mary pass on January 6th? Well, I think it's pretty important that we uh, take a step back here and and acknowledge that he never had any real options to begin with, any you know, in a legitimate <laughs> Good sense. Point. I mean, yeah. you asked, is this the end of the road? I'd say the road ended the second polls closed uh, on November 3rd and the American people <laughs> exerted their will. Uh, you know, Donald Trump was voted out of office. So obviously he could, as, as uh, every Republican senator on earth has said, you know, he has a right to fight legal, you know, to, to mount legal challenges on all this. But there's really not any path to, to his remaining in office here, short of anything, you know, bodily illegal. Um, the McConnell messaging, though, does send a specific elite messaging cue, which I think is important. You know, it sends a message to a lot of uh, the Republicans all around the country, not just in Washington, that sort of says, OK, let's fight them on other things. This one is over. But obviously, Mitch McConnell, you know, is testing at this point the ability his ability to sway popular Republican opinion. One of the reasons that Mitch McConnell is so powerful is because he has a lot of sway within Washington, within his own caucus. And a lot of the Democrats are frankly scared of him, even though they hate him. But it's not as if random voters across the country like or care about Mitch McConnell. He has terrible approval numbers for rank and file voters. So the idea that random Trump uh, fans are going to look at Mitch McConnell saying this and say, well, if Mitch says so, then we might as well move on. That just you know, is yeah. not how this works. Addy, what do you hear on the Hill? Do you do you think that Mitch McConnell can uh, succeed in convincing Republican sen- every single last Republican senator not to play this game that some House members are playing of upsetting the apple cart on January 6th? Um, you know, I think that one person really to watch is going to be Senator-elect Tommy Tuberville. He has— oh, yeah. Um, yeah started to kind of <laughs> he started to kind of suggest that he might back an effort to um to challenge the results of the electoral college he said um just this week you see what's coming you've been reading about it in the house we're going to have to do it in the senate so i i don't think so i don't think that Mitch McConnell can lock down every single one of these uh senators in his caucus especially um like you mentioned some of the folks like Rand Paul or Josh Hawley but some of the, uh, you know, I think we also have to keep an eye on Tuberville, who I, I don't think will be boring over the next six years. When is Tuberville sworn in? Do we know? Uh, I believe that he would be sworn in. Uh, one of uh, Jeff or, or Gabe, you should correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that he would be sworn in before the uh, results were, were officially certified in the Senate. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the, the Congress technically starts on January 3rd, even though that's a Sunday. Uh and I think they'll at least have the mock swearing ins by then. Right. Uh, okay. So then the question, I just want to point out that uh, this morning, uh, Donald Trump tweeted that uh, Tuberville is a hero. So. <laughs> of course he did. I didn't even say that. <laughs> Bill, I feel like every time I come on your show in the middle of like the beginning of the R conversation, you get the little Trump alert t- tweet and it always fills me with like um, just deep freezing fear 
<laughs> well, well, you, Addy, and all all Republicans, you know, just think about like, well, if you're uh, if you're uh, David Perdue or Kelly Leffler, and you're trying to figure out how you're talking about this in the middle of your runoff, <laughs> imagine what it's like to get that news alert on your phone. Uh, but seriously, I mean, they they might uh, go go a little bit further on this. You know, Leffler recently was asked five times in a row if she. Uh, saw Joe Biden as the president-elect if she was willing to acknowledge that, and she refused to say it. So I think that there's a real question that, you know, it's not just the people who want to run in 24. A lot of these folks in the Senate have, you know, even shorter-term political incentives to pretend they're fully, well, not pretend, to uh, show, demonstrate that they're fully on Team Trump, you know, until the very last second. Well, let's let's be sure that we uh, agree on this or not. Um, if someone, if Tuberville or Rand Paul, whatever, does force a vote in the Senate as well as a vote in the House. Does anybody here believe that that effort could succeed in overthrowing the results of the election? No. 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 Okay. okay. And, there will, and there will almost certainly be objections in the House. That's that's almost a given. Yeah, right. I, I, exactly. Mo, Mo, right. Brooks for, Mo Brooks has already said he will. Okay. So speaking of Donald Trump, my question now moving on is— where the hell is he? I mean, uh, 3,500 people died from the coronavirus yesterday. Donald Trump did not say a word. We learned that these new cyber attacks now have uh, hit the State Department, the Defense Department, the Department of Homeland Security, Department of Energy, Department of Treasury, Department of Commerce, and the National Institutes of Health. Donald Trump has not said a word about it. Seriously, he hasn't had a public event on his schedule since November 4. Where is he? Jeff, what's going on? I'm really glad you brought this up because uh, our White House correspondent, George Condon, and I are happen to be working on a story on this right now. Uh, I would tell, add, us, tell us about it. What, I would what if you find out? <laughs> that Trump also hasn't had an intelligence briefing in more than a month. Um as you said, he hasn't reacted to the pandemic deaths. He's not reacted to the hacking. He's staying off camera. Um, and it really is un unprecedented in the modern age. I mean, you, you, Herbert Hoover didn't do this. Uh, Jimmy Carter Jimmy Carter worked until the very last minute of his presidency trying to secure the release of the, of the hostages in Iran. Um, George H.W. Bush, when he was defeated, worked like crazy well into January, uh, sending troops into Somalia. Uh, and he, he went to Moscow during the lame duck. Uh, and then I would also add that when we talk about the stimulus deal and the omnibus deal. The, there you go. Yeah. How, how do deals like this get over the finish line with presidential leadership, uh, which we don't have right now? If the president has called Pelosi and Schumer and McConnell over to 1600 Pennsylvania, this could get done. Uh, but it's been languishing for weeks and weeks, partly due to the lack of presidential leadership. It, it, he could be involved be, uh, behind the scenes, but we sure don't see any evidence of it. No, uh, uh, unless you go to the Sterling Golf Course, right? You might uh, see. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and I guess the, 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 the biggest indication but, there is that we don't we're not really seeing any tweets about it, which is usually a dead giveaway as to what's on his mind. But, Addy, it looks like the president is fighting to keep a job that he's not doing. Right? Yeah. Yep. I would say it does look like that. Um, and, you know, one thing that I think is, is, I don't know what the word is, interesting, notable, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> prior to the election, Trump spent so much time uh, criticizing and mocking Joe Biden for being in his basement. And now, <laughs> like, 
we literally have not seen the president. It's just interesting. Yeah, he's in his bedroom, not in his basement. I don't know. But Gabe, to me, it raises a question about how does the media cover Donald Trump, right, when he's basically in seclusion, in hiding? Well, first, let me say, I don't think that we should be surprised by this posture from the president because he's never made any bones about the fact that his he saw the job of the presidency as winning reelection. I mean, he literally announced for his reelection campaign the day he was inaugurated in 2016. So now that he can't win reelection anymore, what what to him is the job? I mean, let's mm. not pretend that, that that for the last few months he's been on the front lines of these coronavirus briefings or fighting Russian hacking. I mean, he this is a man who literally signed a joint hacking defense defense pledge with Vladimir Putin. That was just yet another thing that we seem to forget about here. Um, so, you know, how should we cover this? Well, let's, we should just be honest with the, with our readers and say, you know, this is a president who hasn't been doing the job of a president in a long time, but now he's being pretty open about it. Uh, listen, a president who's not doing his job is a huge story, but it's not a new one for us. It's just the new thing is that he's not sucking up all of the attention himself. He's just doing it with his tweets. Um, I don't mm-hmm. think this is a very complicated story. I think the reality is that the actual wheels of the uh, federal government are preparing for a transition. And by the way, so is he. He's just not willing to say it out loud. Yeah. Okay. A good, good segue. Speaking of the transition, uh, eyes on Wilmington, Delaware. Jeff, I think objectively, one would have to admit that Joe Biden has, um, let's say, made history, I guess, with uh, an incredible array and diversity of cabinet appointments so far. Yeah, there's been a lot of hand-wringing uh, by, by certain uh, certain interest groups, uh, but it looks like now that every every demographic, every subgroup is going to wind up with some representation <laughs> in, the, in the cabinet, which is which has never happened before, as, as you said at the top. Um, the, the most amusing element to me of this is when Buttigieg was announced for DOT a couple days ago, uh, and it was pointed out that he'd be the first openly gay cabinet secretary. A, a lot of the media on the right started shouting out about Rick Grinnell. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait, but Rick Grinnell, he's openly gay and he was the DNI. Did they have a point? I don't know. It's I'm not so sure. Well, he was in cabinet, and he was not. He was acting DNI, acting for a total of three months before before Ratcliffe was was confirmed. And in the Trump White House, DNI does have a seat at the cabinet table, so there's a little debate there. But acting to me is not is not quite the same. And just as a side note, I would add that Trump had. I, I looked it up when this when this debate was happening. Of course, like an idiot, I waded into this debate on Twitter. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you I never learn just as a side note uh trump has had five dnis in four years and three of them were acting uh there you go <laughs> it's amazing <laughs> yeah but so um addy when you look at deb holland right first native american pete buddha judge first uh openly gay member of the cabinet uh Lloyd Austin, the first black defense secretary. I mean, down the line, um, I think Biden said this week, nine precedent setting appointments. Yeah, it, it is pretty remarkable. And I think Deb Holland in particular, um, the the pick for his interior secretary is just really, really remarkable. Um, 
that pick in particular is one that uh, progressives and many on the left had been pushing for, and they really see this as a major success. A lot of activist groups, a lot of climate groups, a lot of um, a lot of even incumbent progressive like members of the House were really, really pushing for this appointment to have a Native American woman leading the Interior Department. It's just a it, it feels a little bit like whiplash to me to go from the Trump administration and the Trump cabinet, which was very white and very male and to mm-hmm. to this extremely diverse cabinet. And I think it's very satisfying to a lot of people to see themselves represented um, in in this cabinet. Hey, Gabe, the one, uh, if you will, constituency that I do that I do not yet see represented and I'm a little surprised at is no Republican yet appointed to the cabinet. Well, this is something I've been thinking a lot about. There was a lot of pressure on Biden from people close to him um, this fall on the idea of naming one or two Republicans to his cabinet. Let's not forget that uh, his predecessor, a Democratic predecessor, Barack Obama, tried to name three Republicans at this point to his cabinet and senior team. Um, the problem for Biden, who may, by the way, still pick someone, for example, for Commerce Secretary, yeah. uh-huh. a moderate Republican, um, the problem for Biden is that uh, there isn't there aren't really that many people who make a lot of sense. You know, for a long time, some people <laughs> wanted him to make to name Mitt Romney, for example, uh, cabinet secretary. But first off, Romney clearly it maybe isn't yeah. enjoying his job in the Senate, but clearly thinks it's important. But more importantly, once Romney came out and said he was going to support the nomination of Amy Coney Barrett, that ended that conversation quickly. You know, you look at someone like John Kasich. He obviously supported Biden, but he is also a very anti-labor uh, figure. You know, he's someone who is. Um, anti-choice, someone who would be really, really against a lot of the the Mm -hmm. values that are being put forth by a Biden administration so far. And most importantly here, uh, you know, well, it's just suffice it to say uh, people would go crazy if he did it. And it just doesn't seem like he really has the uh, has the attitude or uh, wish to do that appetite for it. Right. But I remember, you know, Bill Clinton had Bill Cohen. Right. Um, George Bush had Normanetta. Right. That's not uh, it wouldn't be the first time that a president has appointed a member of the opposing party. No, and, and, and Barack Obama did it. And, and you know, it wouldn't be surprising, for example, for, for Joe Biden to choose Chuck Hagel, who, you know, was a Republican yeah. senator and a close friend of his. But the truth is he's filling up his team here. I wouldn't be surprised to see one or two, but it's a misreading of Joe Biden to think that he's automatically going to want to do this. Joe Biden's MO has always been to be exactly in the center of the Democratic Party, not in the center of American politics. And the center of the Democratic Party right now is pretty open about the fact that it does not want uh, Republicans represented. There are some people who say maybe we should have some more conservative voices at the table, and Joe Biden might agree with that. But if he doesn't think he can get these people confirmed or or would be a useful member of his cabinet, he's not going to do it. Right. Uh, so before we take a break, and while I was speaking about the Bidens, it was not Joe Biden who made the most news this week, perhaps. It was, dare I say it, Dr. Jill Biden. Um, and uh, there was, a, of course, this op-ed in the Wall Street Journal that said that we should no longer call her. She should no longer be no, go, go by the name of Dr. Biden because she was a doctor of education, not a medical doctor. Um Tucker Carlson weighed in on this as well uh, in two ways. First of all, in talking about Jill Biden, 
Um, he joined those who question her authenticity as a doctor. Here's Tucker on Jill. So contrary to what you may have read, Dr. Jill Biden is not a healer. She's not allowed to write prescriptions. She wouldn't know what to do with your appendix. Dr. Jill has an education degree from some school in Delaware, and you're supposed to find that highly impressive. She could be a Surgeon General. Uh, by the way, that school in Delaware is the University of Delaware, I might add, as a native Delawarean. I resent that little slur. Uh, but <laughs> Tucker had a little different take a couple of nights later when Sebastian Gorka, Trump advisor, appeared on the show. Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Dr. Gorka, thanks a lot for joining us. So, Dr. Dufer, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> this is so silly, right? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and and then we have the element of of, of uh, sexism playing into this. The, the, the whole uh, episode, at first, at least, reading the Wall Street Journal op-ed, didn't strike me as overtly sexist on its face because I've seen this argument pop up on social media from time to time. Um, in, it's one of those made-for-social-media arguments, even like like is a hot dog a yeah. sandwich that, <laughs> that just keep bubbling up and, and people love to fight about. But the way some people have continued to pile on this does look to be in bad faith. Uh, last night, I was uh, I was catching online on Twitter a whole thing about dissecting her published academic work and making fun of her writing. Uh, it's in saying that she's a lousy writer. It, it's all a, a little unseemly at this point. Um, and this is, you know, you can find all kinds of people who refer to themselves as doctor. Uh, you can you can find uh, ministers and reverends throughout the country mm -hmm. who refer to themselves as the reverend, yeah. the reverend doctor so-and-so, and that generally is unremarked upon. Uh, Addy, I'm, I know you want to jump in here, right? No, uh, I literally don't even want to. Like, I, I find this so – ask your question, but I find this so annoying. Well, I just – it's obviously – some. I think Carol, my wife, pointed out to me, well, they didn't have any problem with Dr. Henry Kissinger. I mean, <laughs> That's this true. is outright sexist, isn't it? I mean, okay, so here's the thing. I um, went on a long vacation and I didn't have Twitter on my phone and I got back and I realized I don't have to re-download Twitter on my phone. <laughs> and so I did not look at Twitter for like literally like 20 days and I got back and I logged on and I saw people just like screaming about like whether Dr. Jill Biden gets to call herself a doctor and I closed the page. I think this is just like sexist yeah. and boring and not really worth our time. And I also find I'll, I'll, I'll and now I'm getting, now you've got me talking about it. <laughs> I also find it frustrating because I think there's been this sort of like follow-up conversation among a lot of people online where they're like, women should really use their titles. And I also find that uh, sort of annoying. Like people have value as human beings without title anyway i just find all of this like dumb it's like a waste of our energy i think just to all be right. honest Bill, can, we, can we say bullshit on the show that's all it is yes we yeah. can <laughs> she's a yeah. doctor she, she has a phd end of conversation right end of conversation from the university of delaware and uh that's it and that's a good time to take a little pause a little time out here <laughs> with jeff dufer gabe de benedetti and addy baird on today's uh round table 
So I just want to point out here as we take our pause that uh, today, as I mentioned, is December 18. That means by my count, there are only six six shopping days left till Christmas, but only one shopping day. That is today. If you are interested in getting a Carol Press scarf for the holidays for yourself or someone you love, uh, this would be the last day that Carol could take your orders and get them to you by Christmas Day. So check out our website, carolpressscarves.com. You've heard me talk about them before. They are beautiful. Uh, They are either in rayon chenille or bamboo, all kinds of different colors and patterns to choose from. Uh, Absolutely, each one a work of art, each one you'll be proud of. And like me, when I wear one around Washington, people will stop you and say, where'd you get that beautiful scarf? Uh, Check out carolpressscarves.com. Bill, nothing warms my heart like you doing Spawn for your wife every holiday season. It makes me so happy. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. And we're back with today's roundtable. Eddie Baer joins us from BuzzFeed, Jeff Dufour from the National Journal, and Gabe DiBenedetti from New York Magazine. Uh, A not big surprise, perhaps, but Bill Barr announced he was Attorney General Bill Barr, leaving for Christmas to spend more time with his family. Gabe, was he fired, forced to walk the plank? What do we believe? Uh, I mean, the the lines are pretty blurred at this point with every time someone leaves the Trump administration, but the short (laughs) answer is always yes. Uh, I mean, the the story is pretty clear here. He has not gone along with a lot of the president's 
uh, more fantastical conspiracy theories about the election. He hasn't, you know, appointed a special counsel or anything like that to look into it. He uh, news has come out that the investigations into Hunter Biden had been going on for a while, but Barr did not elevate them and, in fact, sought to keep them quiet, as is the traditional role of the Justice Department in a situation like that. Uh, and that's obviously not how uh, Donald Trump thinks. So, you know what? After all this talk about Bill Barr actually being, you know, essentially a uh, doing what Trump wanted over and over, which is clearly the case for months and months, if not a year or two. Uh, there are some things in which he drew the line and that, you know, was was not enough for the president. So pretty clear story here. Uh, who's next, Jeff, in terms of forced, forced to walk the plank, uh, FBI director, CIA director? Oh, well, yeah, we're running out of days, aren't we? <laughs> and maybe uh, bodies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The FBI director has is, is has always been on my on my short list. I'm surprised he's lasted this long. You know, if 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 Esper couldn't last past election week, I'm right. I'm surprised that that Chris Ray has. Um, but you see the knives out for Barr now too. Speaking of our our, our friend Seb Gorka, who you just referenced, uh, he was on TV a day or two ago saying that. Um, that that Barr is essentially a traitor and should be, um, you know, should be pilloried essentially uh, because he didn't make any indictments in the um, in the election case. Uh, forgetting, of course, that perhaps if he didn't find any, that he may not have found any indictable offenses, <laughs> and that's why he didn't make any indictments. Um, it's, it's amazing that the, the loyalty in Trump world only goes one way. It goes to the president, not back. And, but the amazing thing has been how, uh, how that loyalty is then extended out to, uh, to, to Trump's, uh, circle of supporters, which may be shrinking, but they're very, very, uh, vociferous in their, in their support. And there is essentially no one that they won't turn on except the president himself. Right. Um, Addie, I want uh, uh, to talk a little bit about um, the latest on the coronavirus uh, pandemic. And the good news, of course, is that one vaccine is now out and being distributed. Uh, and it looks like the uh, FDA is going to approve the Moderna vaccine uh, today um, at a time when this week, uh, Cedric Richmond, uh, one of Joe Biden's close advisors who was with him in Georgia a few days ago came down with the coronavirus. Four Republican members of Congress, the wife of um, HHS Secretary Alex Azar, uh, tested positive, and a member of the Biden press corps. Um, and again, the president silent uh, on the whole thing. But is the, is the challenge now the anti-vax movement? Um, yeah, I do think that's certainly going to be a, a challenge as we start moving into the next few months. Um, I think we have sort of seen these discrete stages with the coronavirus. Um, I, there was at the early stage where there was not a lot of understanding about how the virus spread. We weren't wearing masks yet. Then there was that development where we began to understand, you know, how to how the virus was actually spreading. Masks became much more prominent. And of course, there was that mask backlash. Um, and I think we're going to see sort of a similar type of uh I don't know, maybe maybe a little bit of a progression um with, with similar sort of 
sort of debates about the vaccine. But I, I do think the difference about the vaccine is that there does seem to be a bit more of a concerted effort to make people trust it. Mike Pence got it on live television just this morning yeah. um, in an effort to make anti-vaxxers and, and people skeptical about the vaccine more comfortable. Um, and, and so I think that that is a certainly a, a difference that um, you've got high-ranking Republicans who are willing to go to bat for the vaccine, but anti-vaxxers are not new. Um, they are. They have been a prominent voice in this country for many years, and I am certain that we are going to have flare-ups of uh, vaccine conspiracies that ultimately are dangerous and incorrect. And this vaccine, you know, based on what people smarter than I say, is safe. The yeah. worst thing that could happen is an allergic reaction. That's why some people who might have allergic reactions will wait. But overall, this is a very safe vaccine. It appears to be very effective. And this is an important step forward for us as a country and internationally as we move into a, a you know, a safer, healthier world. Uh, but Gabe, the anti-vaxxers, uh, Addie's right, have been around for a long time, but now they've been joined by the um, MAGA people, right? I mean, Sidney Powell, who until a week or so ago, and so she was basically fired by the Trump operation, uh, which that's pretty low bar, but um, she's moved from conspiracies about election fraud to now conspiracies about the vaccine being a way the government will control us all because every vaccine contains a chip. She's actually said that. Yeah, you know, I'm very wary of actually giving any of these conspiracy theories airtime at all because they're nothing more than very dangerous conspiracy theories. I think it's very important that you have people like Pence, uh, Mitch McConnell out there talking about getting the vaccine, getting it on air. Uh, Joe Biden said he wanted to do the same. Listen, there's no question as far as we can tell that the vaccine is safe. Obviously, the FDA has approved it. Um, and, you know, it's very important that the president himself, of course, has not gone out there and, and talked against the vaccine in explicit terms. And I think if we get to that, that can be a different conversation. But we yeah. shouldn't pretend that someone who is essentially a fringe figure like Sidney Powell or a lot of these anti-vaxxers have any but, serious sway over American politics. That's it. Yeah. You know, it is dangerous when you see Tucker Carlson out there, uh, for example, um, with a very large audience casting aspersions on the potential safety of this of this um, medicine. But, you know, let's let's. Let's just be totally upfront about this and say, yes, anti-vaxxers have been around for a long time. They are the fringe, and they're the fringe for a reason. Yeah. Uh, let's shift to Georgia. Jeff, you have an article this morning in National Journal um, that in Georgia, um, where we know we have the two runoffs on January 5, people are already voting, uh, that the secret to Georgia may not be the big city of Atlanta, but some of the smaller cities that really came through for Joe Biden. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, this is, with all the emphasis on Atlanta, uh, it's actually the, the swelling in the, in the Democratic coalition and the Democratic ranks really came about in cities like Macon, Augusta, um, in, in, in smaller towns like that, 100,000 people, 150,000 people, Savannah, of course. Yep. Um, and this is where uh, this is where Biden gained a lot of his votes, and it might be where uh, the, the Georgia runoffs are won and lost. Now, the margins are so close here. It's probably going to be literally a, a few thousand votes, uh, certainly no more than, than five digits. 
uh, one way or the other, uh, that almost anything can swing this right now. Uh, I've long thought that uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to think the Republicans are going to win until I, you know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it as far as the Democrats actually, actually pulling this off. Um, Democrats have had a hard time in runoffs in the state of Georgia to begin with. Um, I also go back to Election Day when the vast majority of, of vulnerable Republicans were reelected anyhow. Uh, so I've been skeptical all along that mm-hmm. the Democrats are going to go two for two on this. Uh, they could go one for one. I don't know. What, what, Gabe, have you been down there? And what do you, what's your read of the, of the potential in Georgia? The latest polls I've seen have been basically each of them a tie or one or two point differences. Yeah, I have been down there, and I have a, a big story about the races coming out in the next issue of our of New York Magazine. All right, um, there I, you go. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I don't think any of what we've just heard from Jeff is wrong at all. Um, I think most Democrats on the ground and, and in Washington who are watching this closely believe that the Republicans have a slight leg up just because of how weird these races are. But they do see a lot of reasons for optimism, um, not necessarily because of the inherent strengths of their candidates, John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, though they are sort of favorably surprised that these guys have been doing so well, um, but more because of just massive voter registration efforts, massive turnout efforts. Right. Uh, there was obviously a lot of concern that with uh, without Donald Trump on the ballot, that that, that sort of energy would go away. It doesn't look like that's happening. They've registered a ton of new voters uh, even since November, new people who've become eligible. These are usually younger voters um, and skew heavily Democratic. Um, that said, you know, it's still Georgia. This is this was the first time since 1992 that a um, Democratic <clears throat> presidential candidate won it, of course, in Joe Biden. And and for the Democrats to win these races, um, both Ossoff and Warnock would have to out- overperform what they did in the November first round of voting. So while there's some reason for optimism, uh, the entire Republican cavalry has also come down for, for Leffler and Purdue, um, who both feel pretty good about their position here. And, Addie, there's no doubt about uh, what Kelly Leffler's um, mission is and her message is, uh, branding the uh, Reverend uh, Raphael Warnock, I don't know if he's Reverend Doctor or not, um, as about <laughs> as extreme left as you can get. That's her message. She repeats it all the time. Here she is. We are the firewall to socialism in this country. If we don't vote, we could see the election of America's first Marxist senator. The first Marxist senator. <laughs> I mean, that would be like, that would be something exciting. I like that could get interesting. <laughs> <laughs> but it is it is a strange way to refer to the pastor of Martin Luther King Jr.'s church for the last 15 years, right? Oh, I mean, certainly. And, and there has been some reporting about but how does offensive. It work? Um, well, I guess that's what we'll we'll find out. I think that, um, you know, like like Gabe and Jeff have said, I, I basically agree with them. Um, I think that, you know, the, the polls are very tight. I also think it's hard to not think back on the polls uh, in Maine a month before the election or North Carolina a month before the election. Um, And a lot of these seats that Democrats thought that they were going to pick up in states friendlier to them uh, than Georgia during, you know, with Biden and Trump at the top of the ticket, uh, they lost. And so, you know, I think that it's it's a little bit hard for me to believe that Democrats are going to pick up these two seats. I think that in a lot of my reporting, um, 
you know, people I talk to are functioning as if they are going to be living with a Republican Senate uh, mm-hmm. for at least the next two years. Um, so, you know, I, I guess we'll we'll find out if, if uh, you know, that the branding of Warnock as a Mar- as a Marxist um, is going to work. Um, you know, not that we really have to say it to anyone listening to this podcast, but Raphael Warnock is is not a Marxist. <laughs> there we go. But it does uh, work. I mean, there was there, there were two yeah. lessons you could take from the from the election, which is number one, don't be a jerk, and number two, don't be a socialist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the best summary of uh, November third that I've heard uh, so far. There, Jeff. <laughs> Uh, I just want to close here before we get to your favorite stories of the week with uh, uh, one of the Biden team got in trouble this week, uh, Jen Dillon, uh, who's usually very, very careful. Uh, She'll be the communications director in the Biden White House. Um, But she gave a little um, uh, interview to Glamour magazine this week where she dropped the F-bomb. We actually have the tape of that conversation here. No, I don't give a Who gives a about Christmas stuff? Give me Break. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. We played the wrong tape. That was Melania Trump dropping the F-bomb. Oh, jeez. <laughs> not, <laughs> not Jen Dillon. Uh, Jen Dillon did say, for the record, um, about Republicans, I'm not saying they're not a bunch of fuckers. Um, so there. Um, you know, you have to love when you have to love when <laughs> someone says what they actually think. <laughs> And now, now we're going to be concerned about political decorum. Yeah, exactly. Right. Now? <laughs> uh, I thought that was a, after Melania's tape, it was really to see the uh, Republicans raise hell about what Jen Dillon said uh, was, a, was a little much. Okay, we wrap up with your favorite stories of the week. I've got mine, something that really caught your attention, political or not, that... Uh, you want to stop and say, hey, this is kind of funny or serious or sad. Um, where do we start? Gabe, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I'm going to start with a very lighthearted one that I am just be, not been able to stop thinking about for the last uh, 24 hours or so. It's a story in The New York Times um, about the making of the liqueur chartreuse, which is oh. made by uh, two monks in deep in France who are the only two people who know the recipe for it. Uh, and ben, the corporation ben behind months. it. What? Right. Yes. And the and I I cannot recommend this story highly enough. They the only two monks at this point were both very old know the recipe for this liqueur. Uh, and during the pandemic, of course, everyone involved in the uh, production of this liqueur was very concerned because of the institutional memory there. But these two guys who drive the same old car to the factory every day uh, refuse to give up the recipe. So uh, they have survived, obviously, so far. But to make a long story short, uh, this entire corporation and the entire liquor industry is just waiting, hoping that nothing happens to these two guys who are just sitting happily in Grenoble, sort of laughing about all of our terror about the world. Oh, my gosh. This is like suddenly very concerning to me. I I like one of my favorite cocktails has chartreuse in it. What if I can never have it again? Oh, what cocktail? It's called the last word. Oh, I the, yes, I love the last word. So good. Yeah. I was All right. Say that. Uh, there, <laughs> there you go. Uh, just on a personal note, when I was a student in uh, doing my graduate work in Switzerland. Uh, I drank a lot of chartreuse. That's all I gotta say. So I, I hope they save it. I hope it doesn't doesn't disappear. Um, I'm really happy this story is resonating. I was not expecting this response. <laughs> 
Hey, Jeff, follow up here. So my story is not lighthearted. I, I'm sorry to oh. say. Um, it is far from it, but it's, to me, one of the more interesting stories I've seen this week and, and, and probably a little undercovered. Um, this is the story about Paul Behrens, uh, the longtime aide to Dana Rohrabacher, the uh, oh, yeah. California congressman who became known as Putin's congressman for his, uh, his unseemly ties to Russia. Um, Barons apparently was walking near his house, fell, hit his head and died. Um, and I would only say that when people suddenly have accidents near their homes, when people die of sudden head trauma and, oh, those people just happen to be plugged into Russian operatives, mm. um, it, it's going to raise some eyebrows. So, uh, we'll see if this Ooh. takes on a, uh, a, if this has the same legs as the Seth Rich story on the other side of the political aisle, but um, I, I've certainly got my Whoa. eye on it. Whoa, I hadn't thought about that uh, aspect of the story when I saw about his death. Ooh, that's that's chilling. It is. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Addie, pick us up here. <laughs> okay, so I guess mine is somewhere in between Gibbs and Jeff's. Um, I loved a story that I read in the New Yorker this week that was uh, headlined, How Will We Tell the Story of the Coronavirus, which uh, is, is it undersells, I think, the, the story itself, which is about um, how museums are preparing to put on um, exhibits about the coronavirus and mm. in, in particular focuses on curators at the National Museum of American History who were, uh, as the coronavirus hit, putting together an exhibit about pandemics in the uh, past. And it's just a fascinating story about collecting in real time. Um, and part of what I was talking about earlier about those kind of stages that we've been through of the coronavirus uh, are fascinating and laid out in this story because uh you know, from the beginning, these these curators have been trying to tell a complete story of the pandemic, and it keeps changing underneath them. It's it's fascinating, and and the sort of thing that you know uh, is I'm I'm so interested to to kind of I love stories like this, and so um, it's just fascinating. I would recommend it for you guys. Uh, well, we will go to those museums and see that and say, hey, we lived through this, right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, okay, guys, and my favorite story of the week. Um, goes to Paris. I'm a Frank French Francophile, and I love Paris. And this story is so French to me. You probably heard maybe about the mayor of. Um, she was just reelected mayor of Paris, Mayor Anne Hidalgo, uh, first elected in 2014. Uh, so just reelected, she had 16 top jobs to fill for the city of Paris, and 11 of those jobs went to women. 11 out of 16. She was very proud, and then it turns out she was slapped with a fine by the country of France because she exceeded the percentage of women who uh, are allowed in top posts. She exceeded the diversity limits for the country of France. She was fired 90,000 euros or $110,000. And she said, this just proves I'm doing my job. And she vowed to personally walk down to the French government office and pay the fine herself. She was proud that she went over the line. I guess no good deed goes unpunished, right, Addie? <laughs> 
expensive to be a lady. The pink tax strikes again. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't think we would ever get to the point that you would be punished for too much diversity in your administration, right? You know, um, I am the... I'm the chair of the BuzzFeed News Union, and I can tell you, based on our negotiations with the company about diversity and hiring, uh, this is less shocking to me. <laughs> okay. Well, and uh, I will close with uh, this last tweet from Donald Trump. Just uh, one minute ago, he tweeted, oh, damn it, I lost it, so I'm not going to, at any rate, on based on our conversation, uh, he tweeted out to the majority leader that the majority leader has to learn to get tough. Um, this is where we started today with Mitch McConnell. Majority leader has to learn to get tough. I'm paraphrasing, but just about word for word. Uh, we won this election and Republican senators have to fight for it. So there you go. Nothing has changed. Jeff Dufour, Gabe DiBenedetti, Addie Baird, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, and may I point out that uh, Gabe DiBenedetti has a new book deal going to write a, uh, the first book about the relationship between Joe Biden and Barack Obama. Congratulations, Gabe. Thank you, Bill. Uh, as I've been saying, uh, it's going to be a fun one. Uh, maybe yeah. not the process of writing it, but the actual content will be. Yeah, proud of you. Okay, we look forward to talking about that. Uh, thank you all for being with us today here on the panel. Thank you all for listening as well. Again, our last roundtable for the year. So we wish you a very, very happy holidays. Very Merry Christmas. And over the holidays, please follow the guidelines of the CDC for your gatherings. Be safe, be strong, wear your mask, social distance, take care of yourselves. And we will see you early in 2021, which has to be a better year than 2020. Bye, everybody.